Computer, initialize Holosuite. Back to another episode of The Expanse, the Star Trek Enterprise podcast. I am Perry, and I'm joined today with Chris, Jordan, and Tribs. We will be discussing the uh, episode, I like to call it the firsts, which will be the pilot episodes of uh, the original series, Next Generation, um, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, and of course, Enterprise. Um, but before we jump into all that... Uh, guys, how are you all doing? How's uh, how have things been going? Well, I figure we'll let Tribs go first since this is his first time actually recording with us. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I'm doing well. Uh, I'm doing well. We're uh, pretty much in the heat wave of things uh, now here in Vegas, which means we'll be at 130 degrees <laughs> by next week. Um, no, uh, all's well. Uh, we've all been. Uh, uh, having fun out here. It's uh, travel. It's nice to see in Vegas travel and tourism coming back. Uh, as of May first, we have hit the uh, the eighty percent mark, and we're on par for June, hopefully to open one hundred percent here in Vegas. So, uh, life is a brewing amongst the uh, the darkness that came upon us almost a year and a half ago. Nice, very nice. It's been a while since I've been in Vegas. I always keep saying we're going to go back, and then, of course, I never do. So, Jordan, what about you? How you doing? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for asking. I am here in beautiful Colorado Springs, Colorado. Um, you know, it gets more sunshine than just about any other place, but today is a little bit overcast, and uh, just uh, I've actually never been to Vegas, so it's nice that I all know somebody <laughs> out there now if I ever make it out there. Um, but, uh, you know, just enjoying mother's day and, and, uh, glad to be here with you guys. Nice. And Chris. Yeah. It's good to be with all, all you guys here today as well. Uh, happy mother's day to everybody. Uh, but here in, in Northern Indiana, it's trying to be winter again. It's like, uh, mid thirties, rainy overcast, saw a couple flakes of snow, just sort sort of a miserable day. <laughs> well, I'm here in Austin, Texas, and it's um, warm. It was a little muggy earlier this morning, but uh, that is all cleared up. It's actually been pretty nice for this Mother's Day. Um, my kid and I we got up pretty early, and um, for those of you that listened to the last episode, you might have heard me mention how it was going to be hard for me to track down my mother. She actually uh, surprised me by being in town. So I didn't have to really look very hard or very far at all. <laughs> and we did the whole early breakfast thing because I was just getting off work, met up with her real quick. And, you know, we did the whole nice breakfast, took pictures, all that good stuff. But um, other than that, I'm actually glad that it's out of the way for the day because it's only noon. And that means that I have like the rest of the day to relax. And, uh, you know, even though it's Sunday, I have no problem drinking early. So that's what I'm doing right right now. 
<laughs> it's happy hour somewhere, right? That, that's basically yeah, yeah here is. at my house. It's happy hour <laughs> exactly right now. <laughs> mm. Yeah. So um, before- that's right. Happy Mother's Day to all the listeners out there. Yes. Happy Mother's Day to everybody. Don't forget to get the flowers and the chocolate for your moms and those that have fur babies and whatnot. You know, happy Mother's Day to everybody. Yeah, you know, um, obviously we all have uh, mothers. I hope everybody took the time today to call your mom at the very least. Uh, wish her happy Mother's Day. Maybe sent her something. If not, you're a wayward son, so get on it. You still have some hours left <laughs> in the day to make it right. And I'm sure even some daughters have forgotten well, I'm sure, too. Yeah, yeah, so. maybe. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So before we go any further, I also want to give a you know quick shout out for our um, um, Patreon and for liking, subscribing on um, Twitter, Facebook, all the various social media platforms. Of course, you know how to find us. If you enjoy listening to The Expanse, a Star Trek Enterprise podcast every week, then please consider supporting our show by becoming a patron. Visit our Patreon page at www.patreon.com forward slash nx01podcast to view our subscription tiers. Benefits of becoming a patron include earlier access to our episodes, bonus episodes, and much more. Your support helps us continue to maintain and exceed the high level of quality that you have come to expect from this show. To all our existing patrons, we appreciate you and your generosity so much. And to those of you considering joining us, we will be so thankful to welcome you into our group of patrons. Visit www.patreon.com forward slash nx01podcast for more details. You will also be able to find the website link in the details for this podcast episode. And so now, just want to really jump into it. So, um, of course, we could discuss all these episodes chronologically, or we can discuss them, you know, based on the era, uh, the um, order in which they aired. Um, does do any of you guys have a preference on how you want to start? I say we'll go chronologically. Okay, that's fine. Okay. So that means, of course, we're talking about Enterprise first. Our our namesake here, right? So we start with Broken Bow, and um, does anybody want to give a uh, quick synopsis of the episode, or I can do it, or do we just want to jump right in because we've all seen it and, of course, talked about it a million times? We can go ahead and jump right in on it. I think everybody, I think everybody who's a fan, everybody who's a fan already knows the show. Yeah, (laughs) you know what I mean. Yeah, trust me, I'm excited to do it. So that's that's fine with me. That's fine with me. uh, real quick, just to give you guys, like, what I would like to talk about is more the the showings of the captains, right? What is the, what are you, what was your initial impression of Archer when you first encountered him? I think I'll go first. Um, as I said, in the, as I said in the introduction, uh, in episode forty-one, Jonathan Archer is my favorite captain. Jonathan Archer in the series of Enterprise represents the the viewer of the show, the wide-eyed, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, looking to get out there. And he's a leader because almost all of the 80-some-odd episodes, 
there's always that's an order. So he does have that military experience, but he's also a friend. And I think in reference to Broken Bow, he represents both sides in a sense. You know, he wants to go out there. He wants Hoshi. Mm-hmm. But he knows he can't drag her in rules and regulations, so he has to entice her. He really needs her for this first mission. And I think, you know, there is the, the closeness of the closeness later on, but there is the big three, right? And I'm not talking aliens, androids, and wizards. I'm talking, you know, you have Trip, you have Archer, and you have T'Pol. There is a little bit of tension, of course, with the Vulcans. That's everywhere. And Archer has that reservation because the Vulcans pushed his father out. But as we learn throughout the series, T'Pol becomes a friend, much like Kirk and Spock become friends. Because that's all put aside. So there is a bit of humanity, much like, and I hate to use the term, but Roddenberry's vision of humanity, of putting aside all differences and becoming one unit. I think Archer does that well for a pre, uh, pre-charter uh, series introduction into the, into our fandom. All right, cool. Very nice. Um, before I say anything else, I want to let uh, Jordan give his initial impressions too. Before we start, you know, potentially, you know, um, going against each other a little bit there. But Jordan, yeah, what were your what were your initial impressions of Archer uh, first watching that pilot episode? Uh, you know, I I thought his naivety, his naivete, or whatever you're gonna say it. <laughs> was on full display as a captain um it was it was interesting to see him develop just over the course of the episode um i think as a viewer and as as a prequel series um you know and and as a star trek viewer i know i know everything that comes subsequently after this series i know um you know how the standard by which starfleet captains are held and so to not see him adhere to that standard and to see him um, you know, like Tribbs said, wide-eyed and bushy-tailed, and he was the most wide-eyed and bushy-tailed of the captains. Um, and and that's not a bad thing. I thought it was a really interesting angle to take, and it was something new and intriguing for me both at the time and now as I go back and rewatch the episodes. Um, you know, he he has no regard for what's out there. He has no idea what's out there. Um you know, he, he reminded me, he, he, it made me think he needed that conversation with Q that Q had with Picard, you know, hey, this is not for the faint of heart. Um, <laughs> there are treasures, you know, out, out here, but it's not safe out here. And um, he, he was just so eager to get out there and to start exploring that, you know, I, I think, I think that it set a nice tone for later, later seasons when he does you know, gain some experience under his belt and you get to see his character develop from this bright eyed, bushy tailed uh, captain to somebody who's more seasoned, who has a little bit more of an idea um, what's out there. And that really comes to a head in, in home in season four um, when he's talking to another starship captain who's also bright eyed and bushy tailed. Um, so, I, you know, as a, as a leader, I thought his I thought he was a little naive, but I also thought that his crew immediately respected him. Um, I was a big fan of the of the flashbacks and 
really exploring that relationship with his father, which no other episodes, you know, in any subsequent seasons of the show really did. So it set a nice tone and gave us an idea of who this man is and where he came from um, and why he's so eager to get out there. Why? Because the Vulcans held back his father's war program, uh, Earth's war program for for a for hundred years. Um, you know, he wants to know when when is when is going to be good enough? When is, when are we going to be, um, you know, good enough in the eyes of the Vulcans to do this? And I think that's a sentiment that's, um, that we hadn't seen before. And that is definitely, is definitely unique to, to the series. And I enjoyed seeing how, you know, his methods of overcoming that, which was pretty much just forge ahead um, and overcome any obstacle that is that is in his wake. Um, you know, here he is dealing with an aggressive alien species. He finds, you know, a Klingon that's been shot in, in Oklahoma. And, um, you know, he, do, he doesn't shy away from that at all. He says, you know, let's take this individual home. Um, you know, and there's a lot of there's a lot at stake at that point. There's there's talk of a Klingon armada. Um, there's talk of, you know, retribution attacking Earth, basically. And he's looking for the best way to head that off. And even though he is distrustful of the Vulcans, um, you know, he agrees to take T'Pol on board. And, uh, you know, and then we see that he has some sort of past relationship or, or friendship with Trip. Um, so it was, it was, I think of all of the premieres, we got to know this captain a little more personally immediately than we had any of the captains in any of the previous series. I agree. Absolutely. Chris, you want to chime in there? As far as, you know, when we first meet Archer and everything, I, I like how we, we met him, you know, as a kid with his dad, you know, playing with, with his little drone on the beach. Or at least, well, at least painting it, and then later on playing with it there on the beach. Um, but I think, I think as far as, far as you know, Archer as a leader, you could definitely see him from Broken Bow up all the way up until, you know, Demons and Terra Prime. And each decision he made, he had to come up with a solution on his own since they didn't have the guidelines that, you know, Kirk or uh, Picard or, or Pike or even Giorgio had, you know, as they as they were going out into the to the final frontier. And, and so he, he was the one that had to really make the hard decisions and not just, oh, hey, I can fall back on this guideline just because that's what they put in place. He was making the guidelines for, for the rest of the captains. You know, if I may, uh, you know, Chris brings up a good point. There's this scene at the end where he's finally flying the shuttle with his father looking behind him. And there's the phrase... You can't be afraid of the wind. And I think that actually defines Archer as a character, as a captain, mm-hmm. pre-charter. Can't be afraid of the wind, which means you can't be afraid of pushback. You have to go ahead and forge ahead with what you know and what you believe. And going forth in that direction, you can't go wrong. In a sense, but you're following your own gut. You're following your own person. And what you believe. So, you know, can't be, can't be afraid of the wind really has a strong, 
uh, a strong presence within Archer and defines him as a captain. I agree. I think all three of you hit on uh, a lot of different things that I've always um, that have always stood out to me about Archer. You know, especially in those initial impressions. Like for example, you know, um, Jordan, I believe you talked about just how there is a sense of a you know a more personal development, personal connection with him right away. You know, um, all the other captains. Uh, and again, that ties into what Chris was saying about how all the captains, they have these other guidelines and stuff that have kind of, you know, guided them through their careers and established these personalities, whereas Archer doesn't have any of that to fall back on. And um, Tribs, you also mentioned um, uh, that they did a great job on presenting Archer as a representative of us, the viewer. You know, they made him way more accessible than some other than the, any other captains that we have you know what we what we get from him is you know a great beginning storyline with him as a kid the connection with his father and the father's engine and the the long denied promise of this of deep space exploration and then you know we see that anger flare up in him when it seems like it's finally going to happen and here are the vulcans um you know, standing in the way of that once again, which, you know, for everything that we'd ever seen of Vulcans to date, you know, before this show, Vulcans were our allies, our, our closest allies, and they were, you know, always very supportive of the of the captains and of Starfleet personnel. So to see them in such a, you know, antagonistic role was shocking for me. And I have to admit, like, I remember when I first watched it, I didn't like Archer because of it, because I was so used to everybody just the broad acceptance that Vulcans were good, were good, were great. They could do no wrong. Right. To see them so antagonistic and to see Archer threaten to knock to Paul on her ass, as he says, um, in their first meeting, I was like, whoa, not going to like this guy. You know, like that was my my first thought, you know, and um, um, I was glad to see that it changed. I, I loved seeing that. um he did already seem to have a personal connection with uh, Trip right away. You know, um, it's it's almost like he had a personal connection with all of them because like he knew he knew to go get um, Hoshi. They clearly had some kind of rapport, and uh, um, you know he had personally vetted um, Mayweather. I think the only person that we don't really see him have an initial connection with is Reed. You know. Um, Mm-hmm. But again, I just I like those personal touches that they seem to just throw a lot of uh, in that first episode, which we don't see with the other captains. So my again, first impressions of Archer were he was way more personable. He was way more into his crew, um, not being so standoffish. And he seemed um, he seemed like us. He seemed like how I would be, you know, Um eager to get out there, eager to do stuff, eager to be on my own. And this is my ship. This is my mission. Let me do this, you know? And, uh, I definitely like that. So compare that now with all the things that we've said about Archer, compare that now with Kirk. All right. And, to um, lead us off. I just want to say, you know, especially when watching the first episode, which we see Kirk in, um, to me, there was a night and day difference. You know, Kirk comes off as the smooth everyman. He's got the answer. He's in ultimate control. The whole thing, he was just, he was very dominant in his role. You never got a sense of 
hesitancy, uncertainty, or anything like that from Kirk in watching him. You know, compared to Archer, who, like we said earlier, was very eager, but also very unsure. You know, so those are my initial impressions there um, from Kirk to Archer. What about you guys? Well, going with uh, where, where No Man's Gone before, which was really the, the the pilot for that part of the original series, you can tell that, that, that Kirk is not only smart because, you know, we're, we're right off the bat led to believe that Vulcans are are you know fairly intelligent especially playing three-dimensional chess and he's able to beat beat spock there you know it what seems like you know the, the multiple time that week um but also you know you can also see he's got you know the, the real humanity when when faced with you know having to either kill his best friend from the academy in order to save his crew and potentially the rest of the federation or you know let him run rampant throughout the galaxy and you can tell you can see it really weighs on him and in that episode spock's even like you know you're gonna have to kill him in order to save us and everybody and i think that's that's sort of where what led it led into you know with with the needs of the many outweighing the needs of the few and unfortunately in in where no man's gone before we don't get you know the uh between you know the 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 id and the the, the super ego we don't we don't get the the, the McCoy spot part of it we just get the Spock part but I think had had McCoy been there he would have been like you know keep 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 holding out for as long as you can but you know ultimately we're gonna have to to come mm. come up with a decision that you might not like so real quick do you think that that um that difference there of not having McCoy um, in any way affected our ability to connect with Kirk in those initial scenes. Because, you know, I think, again, going back to Archer, they did such a great job of giving us a lot of emotional mm -hmm. uh, high points in his in his initial uh, debut that we don't really see here with Kirk. And now that you said that, I do realize that a lot of times we didn't see that with Kirk right away, but that's mainly because McCoy was there to offer it. So do you think that that might be why there's a yeah. difference for some viewers? I, yeah, I think, I think so. Um, and, you know, had, had, you know, McCoy or had they had, you know, the Forrest Kelly there in, in that pilot, I think we would have been able to see, you know, they they actually did have a you know a longer friendship than than what they show, you know, with the with the the next episode that they made, which I think was Charlie X. I can't. It, it's been a while since I've seen the production order on the original series, but but like you, but like since since we we technically saw the Man Trap first, you know, we kind of knew that the, that it had been established previously that you know. Kirk and McCoy were at least, you know, at least knew each other beforehand. Yeah. Tribs, what about you? Connections between Archer and Kirk. What do you think? I think for sure, for the time that the production was made for Star Trek TOS, I think what the world was looking for was a leader. And, and that put forth William Shatner's portrayal of Kirk, especially in this episode here, uh, to know what the problem is, to guess what the problem is, how to beat the problem. Um, this, again, goes back to humanity. And 
more or less for the episode. I think, you know, absolute power corrupts absolutely. And here is our leader, Captain Kirk, who is trying to understand that and how to defeat this issue and how to, uh, what, where sacrifices need to be made. I think Chris put a pin in it. It's the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. And we all know Kirk to be human, but he did have that Vulcan side to him. As a, as opposed to, as opposed to now Archer, of course, we talked about, I think Kirk was more of the leadership role just because of the situation he was in and the time of which the production came out. The world and the country, the country was looking for a leader. Because mm-hmm. let's not forget history, right? Mm-hmm. The world was looking for, the, the, the country was looking for a leader and that was Shatner's portrayal of Kirk. Yeah. Given the script and his and the way to go, so yeah, I think you make a great point there because you know all of the captains are very indicative of the time in which their shows were filmed, and you're right. Like Kirk always did come off to me as someone who he he was just always cool under pressure. He always had the answer. He was very sly about it, you know. And even though he's got Spock and McCoy on either side of him, his way through always seemed like it was something that he just knew he was going to mm-hmm. do, right? Um, and then with Archer, what we're seeing is uh, full of promise, very bright-eyed, but again, uncertain. And that's I feel like that's exactly a great way to sum up the initial, uh, you know, especially those early years of, of Trek, for that show anyway, um, what we were about. You know, we were entering into a very uncertain era um, culturally and politically. You know, and he reflected that quite well. And we see he continues that in the show as we, you know, get into later seasons. And we see, of course, the infamous flipping of the character with um, 9-11 and everything. Again, very reflective of the time. Um, so, yeah, I, that's a, I think that's a great call out. I'm, and I mean, I think it's something that maybe we've kind of picked up on before. But, yeah, I just going back, it's almost like you can watch and in each one see the major events of that era going on in those people, you know? Jordan, go ahead. I think that's something that's special about Star Trek in general um, is Mm -hmm. how it reflects the world that we live in in the era in which it was was made. And the biggest difference to me between Kirk and Archer, um, the biggest... you know, Archer, Archer was an explorer and Kirk was a leader. Uh, Everything that Kirk did, he, like you said, did it with confidence. Um, He did it with suave. You know, he was, he was adamant about his decisions. Whereas I think we see Archer actually struggle um, with a lot of decisions. And I think that, um, you know, his base as a character is, is more, geared towards being an explorer than an experienced leader i think he gains a lot of that experience as a leader as we as we watch the show unfold um and that in that way it's somewhat more rewarding because when i watch kirk the man always knows what to do and you're and you're wondering how he got to that point you know um and so sometimes seeing how you know, seeing the JJ movies and how they redid things and how he grew up and whatnot, that was, that was educational in a sense, because you want to know how a man like that becomes a man like that. And the, and you didn't always get those answers in TOS. 
um, it was really more about uh, the episodic, you know, exploring the final frontier and exploring strange and new worlds. Um, and, and, you know, Enterprise had a similar, a similar motif, but it was, it was done in a far different way. And it was, it was done, mm -hmm. you know, the, the space shuttle program was still active. Um, you know, there, there was, there was lots of hope for our exploration of our solar system and our, um, and, and what we're learning about, about the things around us and about the space around us. Um, whereas, you know, in TOS, Kirk has a, a foundation for a lot of that information or a lot of that information is, um, you know, so I'd say again, the biggest, the biggest thing I see when I compare those two characters is that Kirk is a natural born leader and, and Archer is a natural born explorer and not just exploring, you know, space, but exploring the relationships with his crew. Um, the heat, that's just more his personality. I agree. I agree. Now I want to move on to who I feel is our, probably our greatest contrasting <laughs> captain from Archer. And that will, of course, be Captain Jean-Luc Picard. Um, we see him in Encounter in Farpoint, very first episode. And, um, you know, again, for me, initial impressions are he is the consummate yeah. military professional. He, you know, the first scenes that we see him in, he is walking the decks of his ship. He's very, he's very high profile. People see him and you, you watch them immediately get out of his way. And, you know, there's the call outs, you know, sir captain you know like real quick nods like this is you know routine um they know what to expect there's no it, it's very polished right which is very different from what we see of archer archer is you know surveying the ship with trip in a shuttle wearing a baseball yeah. cap of all things you know baseball cap and you know little <laughs> jacket you know they're bouncing around on the outside of the ship meanwhile um you know here comes picard straight shiny uniform crisp military walk about him you know and everybody is almost you know just intimidated by his very presence when he walks in you know um so yeah just such a complete difference from uh from what we see in archer and again reflective of the time in which this show was filmed you know he he may be a very militaristic man but he's surrounded by all of these people who are, you know, again, consummate professionals just like he is. There are everything's very smooth. It's very hushed. It's um it's very serene, really. You know. Um as busy as they all are, nothing seems to be like out of anyone's immediate control. You know? So those are my initial impressions. You guys, what do you think? Have at it. Go whoever wants to be first. I don't wanna pick. I, I think Jordan should go since he did mention Ben mention uh, Picard being one of his favorites. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Picard is my absolute favorite. Um, I think every every move that he makes is done with thought, and I think that that comes across from the very first episode. Him walking down the corridors of his ship, like you said, you can see the gears turning in this man's head. Um, he's he's just he puts thought into everything. And, you know, I think that yes, crisp, polished, militaristic. Um, but as soon as he encounters Q, it puts him totally out of his element and we get to see, 
we get to see how he deals with that. You know, he's used, this is a man who's used to formulating a plan and executing that plan and, and um, having the support of his crew behind him. And, um, and then, you know, he encounters this entity that no, no one has ever encountered before and is, and is put on trial for the crimes of humanity. Um, And I think that, I, I think that if anybody else had been on that trial, you know, who knows what, who knows what the outcome would have been. It may have been very poor for humanity um, because this, this man is somebody who had a cognitive ability, unlike any of the other captains that I've been able to see. And I don't just mean tactically, tactically, or, you know, uh, conventionally, he really, he, it's almost like he has Mm -hmm. the repository of the human spirit inside him of, of the entire human race. And he's able to tap into and access that. Um, and 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 to Patrick Stewart's credit, he's able to portray that so well on screen. Um, so he, he, to me, uh, he's um, he's just somebody who he, he may not have all the answers like Kirk does. You know, I, he he doesn't automatically have an answer, but he's going to arrive at an answer by using the resources at his disposal, the people at his disposal. Um, and and that's an answer that you can trust and rely upon because it's made in yeah. good faith. You know, that is a heck of an endorsement, man. The spirit of humanity <laughs> resides in him. But, wow. So yeah. so if I could if I can jump in here, as we heard in season two Picard trailer, the trial never ends. So Picard is yet again put on trial for crimes of humanity. So he is the answer what is appeared to be the answer of why things are the way they are but he doesn't know the answer to a point but he does and again the trial never ends so there is something about picard that q finds more interesting than either of the four captains i mean if you want to do a what if episode what if q entered in the Archer timeline? What if Q entered, stayed within the Deep Space Nine era? What if Q continued on in Voyager after all? You know, or if he even showed up in the in the JJ movies? You know, it's the trial of humanity, and again, it's pointing back to indicative of the times. If you look at some of the early TNG episodes, how Picard reacts to each of these to each of the instances i'll i'll bring up a a, a great episode measure of a man mm-hmm. you know uh, measure of a man is one of picard's first of all one of trek's greatest episodes i will put it probably in top 10 and picard defending data that's a true leader. That's a true man. That's a true someone who believes, who has the belief that all are created equal. And, you know, uh, and, and that to me is quintessential in a captain of itself. The man who stands behind his people, the man who won't stop at nothing. While he's a little bit edgy. In the first three seasons, you see him sort of lighten up. And there's a reason why he does that. Because he's starting to realize that his crew is more human than, dare I say, robotic. You know, Perry, you you brought up that it's very militaristic. It's very 
You see him, you salute him. Through seven seasons, Captain Picard has become more human than robotic. He's learned to accept his crew for who they are. He's learned to... He's never had a family, right? He's never had a family of his own. And... Go ahead. I'm just going to issue a challenge on that. I'm going to say no. I disagree. I think that he... um, I think that while his understanding of his crew and their capabilities um, improves over the time, I don't think we ever really see him lose that very professional distance he keeps from them. And, I mean, this is something that, you know, I think they try to do away with in Picard a little bit, especially with the way that we see the Rikers and um, when Picard goes there initially. But um, for, for TNG, I think that while he has moments where he shows a greater depth of understanding of the of the people that he works with, that's no more, to me, the way that it's portrayed is, that's no more than, again, him just showing why he's such a great leader. Because he can see these key characteristics of his people and he knows how to use them well to achieve a, uh, a the desired result. Um, but he still maintains, except for with the exception of Beverly, he still maintains a very professional distance. And and it's like any time that you ever see him uh, attempting or what you might think of as him attempting to cross that line, most of the time that's because he's urged to do so at the behest of Counselor Troy, who is, again, fulfilling her very professional function of being the, you know, the psychologist on board. And he's not so much doing it from a, a friendship uh, perspective so much as it is he's their leader and he is trying to get the best from his people professionally like I like to think of Picard as like uh, I don't want to call him space dad but more like he's just that guy that everybody really wanted to have proud of them all the time counterpoint so you know yes he he's understanding of his crew he knows where each slot is but again, he's missing that family. He was dedi- he's been dedicated a Starfleet officer through most of his career. Never had children of his own. Always thought of his nephew as his child. Okay? So he's missed out on a lot of stuff. Now, this is, I know we're talking premiere episodes alone, but for Picard, let's fast forward seven years to the end scene mm-hmm. at the poker table in the, fi- in the series finale. Mm-hmm. Where... The crew always says, you've always been welcome. Right. But that, again, highlights the fact that Picard always had the professional distance. It's not that the crew was trying to maintain it. It was Picard himself doing it. And I think that, again, that relates to the fact that from Premiere, from Pilot, we saw we see Picard as a very, um, I don't want to keep calling him militaristic, but he is very much the consummate professional. He is the pinnacle leader. And that's what he is. He exemplifies from, from the first moment we see him until the very last. And even when he says, this is something I should have done a long time ago. Mm -hmm. Yes. And it's like, we, as the, as the viewers also thinking of ourselves as part of the crew, we're like, yes, you should have, we would have loved to see you play poker. We wish that you had, but that's part of the thing that also makes him, such a great character is that despite the fact that through seven years he was so distant, we still wanted him right. to give us more. And how 
and how excited were we when he did seemingly let his guard down? Like even when, you know, I forget, I think it was season four and, uh, you know, those aliens do the old switcheroo and it's not really Picard, but he's mm-hmm. singing in 10 forward. How much did yeah. we all enjoy that? You know, right. even though that we know that wasn't really Picard, but just, just for a moment, here's our, again, pomp and circumstance, super posh, tugging at the uniform captain, Drinking beer and singing songs in Ten Ford. It was fantastic, you know, but it only works to be a fantastic moment because we never see him like that. Mm-hmm. You know, we never oh. get to see moments like that, which again mm-hmm. highlights another difference that we see from Archer, who from the get go, he knows all about Trip and his family, and they watch uh, water polo together, or he teaches trip about water polo so that we would never think Picard would really do you know um he clearly knows Hoshi quite well he's gone all the way down to where she's teaching to personally recruit her and their conversation is it's a quite a personal conversation it's not captain and subordinate it's very much like a hey you're my friend and I know you have the skill set I want you with me not just because of your skills but because I like you as a person you know, mm-hmm. I could find another translator, but I need you because I know you're the best and I know you're my friend and you'll have my, you know, my back, my support. Mm-hmm. So, again, very different uh, yeah. initial uh, setups for these two guys. And I that's why I think they they stand in such great contrast of each other. Um, and, that, and another reason why I like I like doing these comparisons of their firsts, you know, to establish mm-hmm. that. I apologize. You're, you're absolutely right. I no, 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 don't this, don't apologize. You know, difference of opinion. <laughs> difference of opinion is fine. Yeah, but hey, if, if I can persuade you, <laughs> that's great too. And you can be sure that everyone listening has their has a difference of yeah. opinion too. There, that's that's what's great about Star Trek is all of those opinions are valid. You know, um, and we started out talking about leadership, and I think that that is, you know. How, how do you be a leader amongst your friends? We learn that from Archer. How do you be a, a leader amongst people who all look up to you? You know, we learn that from Picard. Um, he's very, he very much does keep his distance. And that's why I, I agree the payoff at the end when he says, I should have done this a long time ago. We see as a viewer, like, you know, yeah. I should have done this a long right. time ago, right. you know, it, from, from people that we, we keep at arm's length. Um, and, and in Archer, we see, you know, hey, it, it's it's good to be liked. It's good to have friends. There's a time where there's decisions to be made. And if I'm the one who's, you know, in command, I'm the one who's the decision maker, that's on me. And, uh, you know, I need to be able to trust that these these friends are going to be able to um, put aside our friendship and, and follow through on what I, what's best for the crew because they're, they're faced with life and death situations. So very different leadership styles and yet both very profound. Um, when you stop to think about them. It's very, it's very impactful too. I think that's what we're coming across. It's very impactful to the viewer, to, to us as fans and how each of us take it, uh, take yeah. it to a personal level and what each leader means to us, right? And, and it's very impactful. Just from the three that we've we've spoke about, I think really we've spoken our heart about what each of them mean to us, and I can't wait to continue on. I apologize for interrupting. <laughs> no, it's not. Not at all. That's the whole point. Now, 
I, I, I do want to push back against Jordan's thing about, you know, no, no, no other captain probably would have, you know, gone through with the trial as well as Picard did. I can, I can point to the end of Shockwave Part 2 with Archer's Gazelle speech. I can, I can see him giving that to Q at the trial. That's a good point. That was a great speech. That was a great speech by Archer. I mean, it put the Vulcans right in their place. They had no... And then when T'Pol jumped in, I mean, it was such a good a good speech that it inspired her character, mm-hmm. you know, to to talk about... To talk about how a man as distinguished as Saval should know exactly what Archer is talking about, basically. Um, and that, for yeah. me, I, was, I remember being almost speechless. <laughs> uh, it was a great <laughs> scene. Yeah, that, by that point for me too, any chance to see the mighty Vulcans <laughs> laid low, I was starting to enjoy a little more. You know, I had, I had I had changed over a little bit, so yeah, I definitely enjoyed his speech there too, and her, you know, admonishment of of Savar. I did not like Savar. I just, you know, just didn't like him. So still don't. <laughs> so, like a fungus. <laughs> <laughs> you, you risked everything for 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 that crew and for humanity in season four during that arc you know um he risked his position he risked his life um i was it, the reward and the payoff i like i like when you start on one end of the spectrum and you can see um a character or a ship or whatever you know develop to that to that other end um and I thought I was very impressed with his character development and with that portrayal by Gary. I think it's Gary Graham. Is that right? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yes. One of my yes. favorite actors. And I was, you know, I, no one likes Saval. He was not meant to be liked. Um, but when he when he talks to Archer, you know, after Admiral Forrest's death, you can tell that he considered Admiral Forrest a friend and that he was going to go to the end of the line um, to make sure that he did right, not just by his friend, but in the spirit of the relationships between the relationship between humanity and the Vulcans. And it really goes to show, you know, how by Kirk's time, how, why, why they were able to be so well integrated by that time. You know, uh, just a sidebar to Jordan's point about Saval, you know, what a great full circle he's become because as we see in broken bow, you know, uh, he starts raising his voice to Archer, and Archer says, you've been on Earth way too long. Uh, yet in four years, Saval learns the meaning of sacrifice. Saval learns, finally, what it is to be human, and to relate, and to finally come together, and realize that two totally different, totally abstract species can come together. And can form a union and can agree on something and build off that something and build a friendship and build a camaraderie. And again, goes back to infinite diversity and infinite combinations. It goes back to uh, the theme of humanity and what humanity means to each of us and those different subsectors of humanity. That's why Star Trek will always be needed, and it's needed now more than ever. You know, this country is more divided Definitely. than it ever has been, possibly, you know, since maybe the Civil War. And when you when you see 
two characters who are at each other's throats, like Archer and Saval at the very beginning. And then you see that, you know, over time through experiences, I mean, they continue to disagree throughout the whole series. Um, But there comes a point where, you know, where they're able to form an emotional attachment and a, and a respect for one another. And I say emotional attachment loosely because I know how the Vulcans are, but um, I mean, <laughs> you, you can see it on screen. You can, you can perceive it and it, give, it gives you hope. It gives you hope that even though you disagree with your neighbor, um, you know, sometimes, sometimes loudly that there is common ground to be found. You guys are making some great selling points for Savar. <laughs> I still don't like him, so uh, we're just we're just gonna have to agree disagree and move on because yes, uh, we, we have other captains to discuss. Uh, so I'm not gonna go there. Um, but we are now up on our next captain, my favorite captain, um, Captain Cisco. All right, and uh, of course we see him in his opening uh, pilot episode on board the Saratoga and. Uh, Fighting Picard at Wolf three five nine when Picard is Lacutus, of course, which was not an inside job, no matter what anybody says. <laughs> <laughs> um, we see that you know Cisco loses his wife on the Saratoga. Uh, we see eventually him being moved to um, Deep Space Nine, and then of course the uh, reunion of sorts with Picard and that very. Um, hot moment there between mm-hmm. the two of those officers, which it's gonna, that's my first call out as to a parallel of Archer because here we have our new captain, our new commander, Cisco, meeting a established beloved character um, and there's conflict, right? We're expecting kind of that same, oh, you know, almost, you know, bend the knee for the regalness that is Jean-Luc Picard. And Cisco does not do that. He's in his face. He is challenging almost everything he says. And at first, you know, you see that even it throws Picard a little bit. He's just, he's not used to it. And then, of course, to discover that not only is he not used to it, but it's coming from this very, you know, this dark place for Picard, his greatest shame when he was taken over by the Borg, you know. Um, how he kind of shies away from Cisco for a minute. It takes him a second to remember, wait a minute, I'm I'm Jean-Luc Picard, you know? And you see him kind of bite back a little bit at Cisco. Um, again, just like Archer, when he first comes into with the, with the Vulcans, another established, venerated race, one that for all of Star Trek, we're supposed to be like, you know, the Vulcans are so great, so wonderful. And he's, like I said earlier, threatening to, you know, popper one. You know, he's right there in their face. So I love seeing that initial parallel between those two. And ultimately got me to thinking that these two captains are the most alike. You know, whereas with Picard and Archer, they were, they contrast so sharply. I feel like Archer and Cisco, I mean, these two guys that they've been born in either one of their, you know, same eras or whatever would have definitely been, you know, great friends, great supporters of each other. Yeah. They... They're both very personable people. They both have um, great relationships with their crew members. Uh, you know, we see Cisco right away with Dax and their deep friendship and understanding of each other, just like we saw with right. Archer and Trip and their friendship with each other. Um, yeah, it's just 
there's so many parallels between these two. I'm just like, yes, these are the two captains. These are the ones that, to me, make the most sense. Once again, I found myself being like, I relate to this captain more, you know, and that's what drew me in more was having that. So now it's you guys' turn. That was that was mine for now. <laughs> Cisco is broken, as we've seen. You know, Cisco's a broken man. Um, so yeah. mm. it's almost normal to feel the way he has you know if you put it into a into a real life perspective you know i did something to chris hill i didn't really mean it i wasn't of sound mind i was i was drunk alcohol is not an excuse you can probably make the same argument for picard being locutus and why picard reacts the way he does to cisco picard knows accepts everything but still wants that apology, but doesn't know why Cisco is still not, you know, is still not accepting of it. You know, he does know what the losses were. He finds out after. Uh, Picard finds out after what he's done. But Cisco's a broken man. And it's going to take a lot. And we see throughout the episode of The Emissary, it takes a lot for him to accept who Cisco really is. Cisco's a man that, after the death of his wife, having to raise his son on his own, doesn't have the dreams to be captain anymore. He's floating from place to place, Utopia Planitia, to now DS, uh, commander of a space station. So, he doesn't have the aspirations to be anywhere anymore. He just wants to be with his son. And he's come to this broken DS9 and expected to fix it. Nonetheless, expected to be an ambassador of the Federation to the Bajorans. And how does one do that? Part you can't two, when you're as bitter as Cisco was. You true. Can't. True. Yeah. Part two. He is now an emissary to the Bajorans. So now he has to take two, three leadership roles. His personal life with his child. The leadership role as a Starfleet commander. And now a leadership role in the Bajoran religion. He's gone from, I just want to go from place to place and be with my son, to now three very, very heavy loads of responsibility. For a, and in some respects, all different. For a broken, for yeah. a broken man. That's a lot to bear. Well, you talk about three roles, and I mean, once again, I, it screams Archer to me. Like, we first see Archer, and as Jordan said earlier, Archer started out as an explorer. And then he goes from exp explorer to ambassador, making all these first contacts. Mm -hmm. And then he ultimately, too, gains that savior role. He's the savior of humanity from the Zindi. You know, so again, we see these parallels between these two, which you're not doing anything to dissuade me from the fact that these two are the <laughs> most alike captains. You're just making the case. I, I'm not making. No, I'm not making. Um, I'm not trying to be contrast. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm not no, trying okay. to be contrast yeah. at all. I'm just <laughs> saying, let's put Cisco in perspective. You know, I, I no, I agree, and I mean, I'll agree that yeah, he starts off as a very broken, you know, character, but. um I don't think that it in any way is to his detriment because he's clearly still able and willing to function, you know, like 
if he was so broken, why didn't he just retire or resign from Starfleet? He didn't. He just went to the Utopia Peninsula shipyards and was building ships for a while. And when the time came for him to go where they sent him, he went. And that's a consistent thing about his character. He has said that over and over again. He knows he's a Starfleet officer. He goes where he's sent. He goes yeah. where he's sent. And, um, yeah, he, he has said that and done that multiple times. So it shows that there is still something about him that shows uh, you know, the, the willingness to continue to wear the uniform, continue to perform. you know. And I think that is a credit to him. Um, not just as an officer, but as a man, as a father, who is showing that in spite of supreme loss, and not just of his wife, but if you think about it, his whole life. Like, we know that mm-hmm. the officers were on these ships for years. The Saratoga just wasn't another posting. That was his home. And he lost all of that in an in instant, you know, and he still is here continuing on. And, you know, I know you said, like, he's a broken man, and we do see evidence of that. But then we also see direct evidence of him being more than that like his interactions with his son right away you get no sense that he's a broken man when he's dealing with jake he seems like a very loving compassionate supportive father you know and um you uh, when he's dealing with kira for the first time walking into the office and she's so upset and she's slamming her hand down the desk and yelling at the monitor and everything else he comes in he greets her with a smile and i mean i'm sure that, that would have irritated her because it would have irritated me if i was that angry and somebody comes in grinning like an idiot you know but i mean he's able to quickly diffuse the situation and get her to open up to him a little bit she's telling him what's on her mind what's got her upset you know, and he he systematically moves through the station and encountering new people and almost instantly has them changing their mind about him. Odo, our gruff and tough security uh, chief, he's first he's mad at Cisco for shooting off a phaser on the promenade. And then just a few scenes later, we see him saying, you know, I didn't think I was going to like him, you know, because mm-hmm. he's. He's got uh, he's got Quark by the coattails, basically. And he's like, yeah, I didn't think I was going to like him. And now here he is. He's doing something that's just so cool. Like, that's what I loved about how he's able to turn mm-hmm. things and work everything to his advantage. You know, so I'm not disagreeing that he doesn't start off as, you know, they portray him very well as a broken man. But I think that he does a very good job of, I guess, fake it till you make it. Like, he hides it so well from everybody else. And is able to carry on. That's and there's no, there's no argument there for sure. Um, there's no argument there for sure. I'm in total agreement. I'm just saying when we first see him, he's a broken man because of yeah, that. Yeah, right. In that premiere, I agree. Taking on those three leadership roles. Um, and and I, I really feel like lesser men would have crumbled under the weight of, of the emotional weight of what he was dealing with. Um, losing his wife, the mother of his child. Um, and you can just see in his interaction with Picard, it is one of the most memorable scenes in all of Trek. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because it's so raw and Avery Brooks just delivers. You see his cheeks just shake. Mm-hmm. Like he can't even control. He can't, he can't control. He knows the, the respect that a superior officer is due. Um, and, you know, he, he usually, I'm sure since the death of his wife has been, um, able to able to be sad but to still give that respect but he's just not in the scene 
he cannot bring himself to do it. Um, he's just raw and, 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 and to encounter the challenges that he encountered to go to a broken space station and be expected, like you said, um, to be an ambassador to the Bajorans, to be a good father. Um, I think that a lot of times people turn to other things. They turn to drinking. They turn to other things to mask that pain. He embraced his responsibilities, and there's a lesson in that. There's yeah. what responsibilities can can make you, and they can make you live up to your potential. Um, and Cisco very much embodies that. Um, definitely one of my favorite captains. Definitely many parallels with Archer. I agree, um, and he. In, in that in that first episode, uh, at the very end too, when he when he talks with Picard and he accepts that that posting in his office, um, you can see he, you can see for the first time his character has hope in such a long time. You know that everything has not mm. been okay, but it it will be okay because of because he's he's not going to shy away from those responsibilities, right. And can we talk about just the the pilot itself and how in the Star Trek franchise it was such a departure from calm, cool, collected, optimistic starters, and it was very it was just very dark. Like we get the scrolling marquee of of information, and then explosions and ships and i mean we knew about wolf 359 but now we're actually seeing the real battle yeah. you know like in tng enterprise arrived too late and everything was already obliterated now we're seeing we're actually seeing that fallout which is something we had talked about before like we like how when they go back and give us a little bit more of of a detail something that had only ever been kind of off screen basically yeah. you know so now we get to see it it's it was great. It was a great action-packed scene thrusting us into this and um, a great way to kind of bury the lead a little bit because there were so many new characters and explosions and everything else. You had no idea of knowing who was the standout star of the show. Not until later into the episode, mm -hmm. of course. But, I mean, it could have been anybody. It could have been that Vulcan captain that's right there. You know, it could have been that lieutenant commander who is... Also, very much in charge of moving around the Saratoga's bridge. I was really interested in that character, and I'm upset that he never really got a name. You know, um, I thought he was a great character, and he clearly survived. He's the one who saved Cisco on. Uh, yeah, I yeah, yeah. And I mean, he he saved Cisco. I would have thought he would have gone with Cisco to Deep Space Nine. That would have been an interesting um, character development follow through there. But I mean, there's it. It was just such a dark beginning of a show, and it definitely marked a turning point in the Trek franchise. You know, agreed. Yeah, and and honestly, I think for for the better, because mm -hmm. I think had had Voyager kind of stayed in the same you know sort of sort of dark grayish area, it probably would have been received a little bit better, and not just being basically lost in space and space. Yeah. Which is what it was. Oh, definitely what it started out as. Well, if you want to put... That's a nice segue. Now, now, now. Spoilers. We're not <laughs> doing it yet. Let's, let's, let's wrap up Cisco before we do that deep dive there. <laughs> um, yeah, anybody have any final thoughts on our two between Cisco and Archer? Do you agree that they're the most alike? Or do you feel like 
we're we've been saving the best for last. I I, I definitely say that that Cisco and Archer are, are are pretty much the closest ones because in in both of their premiere episodes, we see the the tie that they have to family. You know, Archer with his dad, uh, Jay or Cisco with Jake, and it's just one of those where you know you know exactly what kind of leader that they're going to be. They're going to be more of, you know, so at, at times they can be the parental uh, figure, but they're also going to be that person that's going to be, be your friend and, and, you know, help you out when you need it. And, you know, be able to clearly and quickly establish where that line is between, between what they're, what they're doing. Well, okay. Anybody else before we move on? All right. Well, last and certainly not least is the only female captain on this list at this time. We know that there are others. We'll probably get to those later, but we're kind of capping it at, you know, these the, the bookends here of, of Trek for a while. And that is, of course, Captain Catherine Janeway. Um, we see Janeway, first episode, caretaker, um... In a lot of ways, for me, she reminded me of Picard with her. Mm -hmm. She was very stiff, kind of militaristic as well. Um, You know, the first scene that we really see her in is when she's encountering Tom Paris at the penal colony, which was another thing that I liked, this expansion of the Starfleet, of the Star Trek world. You know, I mean, we knew they had prisons and prison areas and whatnot, but we'd never seen one. You know, the closest we ever got was the occasional use of the brig, you know, but to see something, a planet side facility, I thought that was pretty cool. Um, nicest prison I've ever seen. Yeah. You know, uh, mind for sure. There, right? You know, <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm like, is that a prison or is that a resort? I mean, he's he's fixing stuff. I mean, he doesn't look like he's in any way stressed. Yeah. No or coffee mugs. Whatever. No, no coffee but, uh, mugs. Yeah, that's the, the prison first time bars in this colony right. at all. <laughs> right. <laughs> There were no prison bars. They were out breathing the fresh New Zealand air. I mean, he had birds chirping and it's there's roses and stuff. I'm like, man, y'all got rehab down. Um, but, you know, and of course, we see her standing there, hands on her hips. Very powerful stance, you know, um, while she's talking to him. So, again, lots of callbacks right. to Picard here. Um, throughout the episode, I, I didn't really see many connections um, between her and Archer. Um, so maybe you guys can help me out on that one. Because um, to me, she's another one that just stands in stark contrast. She's she's so much like Picard in this initial episode, right? Yeah. That in comparison to Archer in his initial episode, I just didn't see it. What do you guys think? Absolutely agree with you. Um, I think that her character and the development over the course of the seven seasons, you know, to to talk about that for a second, not just the premiere, but I think it shows how little Berman understood like women. Yeah. She's just so inconsistent (laughs) and all over the place that, um, you know, they started her out as, as a very Picard like captain. And, and then she kind of morphs into a more Kirk like captain on several occasions. Um, One, one thing that you reminded me of seeing that, that, uh, penal con her uh, scene where she goes back for Tom Paris, you know that's very much what Picard did with with Cito 
um, where he tells her that, you know, he was responsible for her being assigned to the ship, that he wanted to make sure that she had another fair shot to prove herself. And Janeway did the same thing with Tom Paris. Um, and then, you know, they, they dive into that and you see her talk to um, Admiral Patterson, you know, in a, in a flashback episode and how everybody deserves a second chance. Um, so she, I think they very much modeled her after Picard initially. And then um, when, I don't know if it's ratings thing, because Voyager, of all of the series, I feel like it underwent some of the most drastic changes. Um, and she kind of, she displays characteristics that are inherent of other captains, not just, not just Picard. Uh, but very much in this pilot, um, she... I, I, I think that they are they are the most alike, uh, perhaps even more so than Archer and Cisco. Um, you know, the, the, her mannerisms, even everything that she does is very mm -hmm. it's very thoughtful. Um, it's very leadership driven. You know, she's she is commanding the respect of her crew as much as she's commanding the ship itself. So um, I agree that they're they're very similar in this pilot episode. Yeah, we might have to have a whole separate episode about Berman and his treatment <laughs> of women throughout Enterprise and various tricks. I, let's, I, I let's think that's going to be sort of our running gag, shit. though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Chris, if you got something, you can go first and then I'll go last. Um, yeah, I gotta say, with with care, the, the you know comparison with Caretaker and Broken Bow as in regards to you know our captains you don't really see a whole lot of, you know, similarities between the two. But if you kind of, you know, branch it out through, you know, the entire runs, you do get to, to, to where, you know, Janeway's willing to sacrifice someone to save, you know, a member, a member or members of, of her crew. Oh but, my God. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> we'll have to save that. We'll have yes. To save yes. <laughs> this is, this is a teaser for, for a future episode on down the line. So, you guys will just have to keep tuning in to get to get the 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 full thoughts of not only myself but everybody else here. So, the burden of command, mm -hmm. which you know Picard and Janeway definitely embraced more than, yeah, than I mean, yeah, you, I guess you you do see it with Archer. Archer ha follows a very similar path when he starts losing people. Um, it definitely. It, it impacts him a lot, um, but he ha he has to cope with it, and I think he does it a little bit differently than Janeway and Picard. Uh, Picard obviously keeps that emotional distance, like you said. Janeway, you know, buries it all. Um, very much similar to Picard. Archer, you know, we see him struggle with some of that. Um, so definitely, definitely worth talking about. Which I think also highlights the fact that, you know, once again, you know, Janeway, Picard, Cisco, Kirk, they had the benefit of um, protocols, additional types of training that Cisco, that uh, Archer wouldn't have had access to, you know, um, you know, that's something that uh, Janeway even remarks on later on in the show about, you know, officer candidacy school and what you're taught about maintaining a certain professional mm -hmm. distance that's something that we never hear archer say and i'm probably yeah. and it's probably because he's probably the one who um put that in place you know we know from watching enterprise that a lot of what 
Starfleet becomes is because of Archer and um, his recommendations that he makes for captains that come after him, you know? So yeah, it's entirely possible that, you know, the, the very things that make them calmer people, it's all related back to Archer's initial experiences um, from being an explorer to ambassador to chasing down the Zindi. Real quick. I have to mention uh, I'm, you got me thinking about In a Pale Moonlight and The Void, um, which are not not the episodes that we're talking about. But in terms of character developments for these captains, you know, Janeway was willing to sacrifice her entire crew as opposed to sacrificing her morals or ethics. Um, Cisco, you know, Cisco took one for the team. <laughs> he was prepared to mm-hmm. let that eat him alive for the rest of his days in order to save the Federation. And so maybe... When I used... You said night? The Void. As in Voyager, the, void. the episode night? Yeah. The Void. Which which is confusing okay. because they reference the Void. They're very similar episodes, you know what I mean, in terms of um, yeah. where they're at and whatnot. But uh, The Void where Janeway talks, you know, she says, we may lose a little weight, but we're not going to lose who we are. And Cisco says, you know what, I could live with it. And if I had to do it all over again, I would. Um, you know, I, I think the stakes were drastically different. Maybe, maybe if it was just his crew, maybe Cisco could have, maybe he could have done that. But um, definitely a, a sharp contrast between those two characters and where they ended up. Um, and and it, you know, it makes me think too. I, I mentioned I was going to mention earlier, um, Cisco overcame so much and. And and some other captains didn't, you know, Rudolph Ransom, um, he was he was in a bad situation and he went a bad direction with it, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So it's it really a testament to why these characters are so why they're so everlasting in our um, in our memories and whatnot, because they 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 made hard choices and they still and they went through hard things. They still managed to retain their humanity. They still. Um, they still showed us different aspects of, of our humanity, uh, you know, and um, it's interesting just to see the different decisions that they made with the situations that they were faced with, but we all, we still look up to them. we we'll all, I mean, all four of them, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think Star Trek does a great job of, especially with the leaders of, giving us these differences, but still making them um, relatable to us in some way. Like We can each pull something from each captain and be like, that's a trait that I wish right. I had. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you can look at Picard, and of course, I wish I had that ability to be so analytical and it not weigh me down and stop me from functioning. Because, I mean, he handles probably some of the most heady intangible philosophical moments in Trek and he does it with such, you know, deafness. It's just like, man, I really wish I could do that. And then, you know, Cisco gives us that kind of never give up, um, really just kind of going for it, protect yourself, protect your people, you know, and that kind of righteous conviction that you're going to see yourself and your people through on the other side, you know, um, Janeway, to me is the obviously the the scientific investigative person you know she she allows for you to 
be okay with not knowing something and to do the research and to find the answer. It's okay that you don't know so long as you don't let the fact that you don't know stop you from learning and moving forward. You know, Archer for me has always been the captain. that's just all about being like not letting bad things stop you from being curious about the world that you're in and exploring and stepping out and pushing your own uh, boundaries and personal comfort zones. You know, we see that over and over again with him. And even in the first episode, um, you know, like, uh, like Tribs, like you said earlier, his last line to Travis, you know, you can't be afraid of the wind, you know, it just like, uh, yeah, he's a great way to let you know that it's all about just pushing forward, like keep going. Mm -hmm. You know, there's always going to be something rough that comes up. And then, of course, you have Kirk, who, I mean, not to diminish him in any particular way, but his thing is always, you know, um, to me, he always screamed with patience and practice comes easy action. You know, like the reason that he always had the answer or, you know, the fist at the ready was because he he learned enough. He had enough experience that he knew instinctively almost that was what was required. Yeah. And that was and he constantly referred to Starfleet training and Starfleet gave us this. He was that paragon example of I I learned, I studied, I committed it to memory and I'm ready. Like you're never going to catch me off guard. I'm ready. I believe in this. And I just I've always enjoyed that about him and been like, yeah, I wish wish that was true for me. I mean, I read and I studied too, but God, I will panic <laughs> exactly. in a heartbeat in, in, a, in certain situations, you know? So yeah, just each captain gives you something that you can aspire to, and I really have always enjoyed that. Those were great character summaries. I could not agree with them more. Like, I word for word, I couldn't have said it better. I, I think... Well, thank you. <laughs> no, I, but I but I think <laughs> you hit it on the head. I think you know, not just us as viewers and as of fans of Star Trek. I think us as human beings have that hunger to strive to be more and to to, to look inside ourselves and what are we missing and what is it that's instinctive and what is it that we need to work on. And each of these captains here has a piece of what we all would love to be and what we have to analyze within ourselves, what we have to work on. It's a, what they seem to be 700, eight, 700 plus episodes. Uh, what they seem to have written down and have performed is a lot easier than, you know, uh, putting the work in and how we have to figure out what the work is that we have to put in to become these people. And circling back mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. to Jordan's comments of that utopian future. I want a utopian future as much as anybody else. Will I see it realistically in my lifetime? No. But I can be the person for that change. And there will always be somebody who won't who will be against it to, to put it in, in scientific terms, to repel against it. But that's not going to stop me from moving forward to not being afraid of the wind and move forward with my beliefs and with my thoughts for that utopian future. I think as, as Star Trek fans, 
it's it's our duty it's incumbent upon us to bring that message to as many people as possible whether they watch the show or not you know they 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 don't need to know how we got it you know it, it would be great if they did and great if they appreciated it um everybody learns some of these pieces from these different captains from different from different people sometimes it's from characters in a show characters in a book sometimes it's from people in your real life but I feel it's incumbent upon me to, sh to share that type of a, a message. <clears throat> you know, I, I thank, I thank Gene Roddenberry for putting it out there. I thank everyone who has contributed to Star Trek in any format or fashion for continuing that dream. Um, that's a world that I want to live in. It's a world worth fighting for. And w will I ever see it? I don't believe that I will either Tribs, but it doesn't mean that I won't fight for it. And, and I'm, not, I'm not saying I won't. You know what I mean? I'm just saying I will. Yeah. But there will be people who repel against it, but I will push forward Absolutely. with my beliefs. You know what I mean? I'm not saying I'm not saying I'm gonna die on you know, I'm gonna die out when people are gonna run. No, I'm still gonna have my beliefs and what I want for that utopian future. So Well I'm gonna say that yeah, if you're talking about the utopian future with the the flying cars and all the rest of it, then no, probably we're not going to see that in our lifetimes. But, I mean, can <laughs> we do a lot to um, bring about some of the cultural changes that we see in, in Trek? Of course we can. I think that that's exactly what Star Trek is about. I mean, it's showing us the, I guess, the end game, the end result. But that's the beauty of Enterprise. Is Enterprise is the first show that really kind of starts to show you some of the groundwork, some of the foundation that needs to be built to get us to um, get us to that future, you know, and we can start doing a lot of that now and we should, and you're doing it when you're talking about, you know, you're still going to have your beliefs. You're still going to subscribe Correct. to that particular mindset and you're going to share that with other people. You know, that's exactly how it starts. It's the idea. It's, it's having the conversation. It's not shying away mm -hmm. from the conversation and it's also challenging other people who have a different opinion from you and it's not about shouting them down it's not about screaming you're wrong it's about being patient enough that you continue to have the conversation over and over and over again and because I, I think that's how that's how the other side wins is they it's not that they've convinced you that you're mm -hmm. wrong it's they've just tired you out and so it seems like there's more of them because you've just grown tired yeah. of having the conversation and for me, Star Trek has always been kind of like, I guess, the fuel for the fire, right? Anytime that I feel tired, I go and I watch some of my favorite episodes. I get to listen to Picard give a great speech about morals and, you know, the drumhead is an episode that stands out. You know, constant vigilance sure. against sure. that kind of Red Scare mm -hmm. McCarthyism, uh, you know, uh, stuff like that. Like, that's again, fuel for the fire. It gets me going again. I'm like, man, you know, in order to get there, I've got to not be afraid here and now to mm -hmm. voice that, you know, and to be a reminder that this we can be better, you know, and hopefully other people feel the same way. And hopefully people who watch Star Trek get that and do that. Because otherwise we'll never get there. We really will never get there. <laughs> Screw the flying cars. We'll just, we'll never get there. Yeah. <laughs> well, guys, 
with that, does anyone have any other final yeah. thoughts? We've been batting this one around for quite a while. Took a bit to get through all those captains, but it was well worth it. Um, so, yeah, closing final thoughts, guys. What do you got? Great topic, great discussion, great people to have this discussion with. Agreed. I want thank you guys for for talking about it with me and having me. Um, this has been it's it's been a great yeah. discussion. Yeah, de- definitely. I, I uh, you know co- coming away from it, you you can definitely see you know how at least in the initial episodes, the only one that's really close to Archer is Cisco. But if we once we expand it out, you can see the other elements. That, that the captains Absolutely. come out through in in our in Archer, so. I mean, we can we always talk about continuity issues, right? With all of the shows, but I think if you step away mm-hmm. from looking at, I guess, the technical details and look at the people, I think they're all very you know congruent. They we see a progression of understanding of their world that they live in, and it all does tie in very well and it all we can, we can see how it does stem from Archer and how the world building from him to Kirk to Picard, Cisco, Janeway and I'm sure once we get there with the other shows as well we're going to see that you know the message hasn't changed and that's where that's where you need to find your continuity and hang your you know your anchor on that and ride it through because that's where we're going to find it's not, it's not the tech it's the people you know so I, yeah, I'm looking forward to that as well, and uh, hopefully you guys are right there with me. And when we do the next part and the other captains and how they compare and all that, we're gonna have some some more great conversations ahead of us. Absolutely, looking forward to it, guys. Definitely. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks again, guys. And this has been Chris, Tribs, Jordan, and Perry for the Expanse. Have a good one. The Expanse. A Star Trek Enterprise podcast is produced and hosted by myself, Chris Hill, and Kyle West, and is a part of the Hollow Sweet Media Podcast Network. To keep up to date with all the news and updates from The Expanse, be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at NX01Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at the Chris Hill and Kyle on Twitter at Kyle Thomas West. To join the Holosuite Media Community Discussion Group, simply type the Nexus into the Facebook search bar, and we'll see you there. Thanks for listening, and until next time, keep shirts on. This show is brought to you by Holosuite Media. Computer, list other available Holosuite Media programs. Loading Holosuite Preview Program 4, Blast Shield, a Star Trek Lower Decks podcast. I think we all thought Ransom was going to go into that fight scene, thinking that it was game over before it even started and he was going to lose. But I think the moment he rips his uniform off, (laughs) which is hard anyway to rip a shirt, but to rip an actual, like, jacket like that mm. pretty impressive and then he had like about i don't know i think it's like 62 abs he just looked ripped and then he was just like you know a little bit of this yeah a little bit of that i was just gonna say it was the way that he also narrated it it was just perfect it was great ransom definitely went to the school of kirk foo ransom foo maybe we should be calling it loading Suite preview program for the janeway a star trek voyager podcast and it wouldn't surprise me in the sex cabin if the table's wonky because the amount of times that Aaron oh. Tom's probably jumped on there, it's yeah, got to be probably damaged it. Oh, <laughs> you know that table's sticky. Oh, Suzanne, it's in the sex cabin. <laughs>
It's, it's a table sturdy. not just for pool balls. <laughs> it's a table not just for pool balls. No. <laughs> yeah. The the thing the scary thing is is you don't know for sure what that sticky is. Because mm. nobody's going to test it. Nobody. <laughs> Nobody. Computer, deactivate Holosuite.